Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, uh, today we jump into the third week of our uh, King David series, and uh, it's been really fun these last couple of weeks to look at a few moments in David's life that are actually really meaningful to who he is as as a biblical character and his story. Last week, we looked at a story that might be a little less well-known, and we're going to do the same thing this week. And uh, uh, I I just love these stories about who David is and what is going on in his life because there's so much we can learn from him. One of the great things about the larger story of the life of David is that it demonstrates how God shapes those who are responsive to his love. I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this story. This week, again, is going to be a little bit more narrative as I tell the story of what's happening in David's life. But I want you to keep that in mind, that the larger story of David, one of the reasons it's great is because it demonstrates how God shapes those who are responsive to his love. And David was certainly responsive to God, especially as he grows and, uh, and uh, kind of works through Uh, later on in his life. Despite his faults, David was a person who was responsive to God. He became a man who understood and reflected the heart of God. We know that uh, scripture eventually calls David a man after God's own heart. So all of us can find ways in the story of David that we relate with and identify with who he is, uh, both his triumphs and his struggles. And that's why he's such a compelling character and very, very worth our study. We find in the story of David a God who can shape our character no matter what. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for that. So in today's story, we're going to see that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth uh, and who's not afraid, afraid to reveal to us what is in our hearts, good or bad, <laughs> and call us back to obedient living uh, and a life being shaped by Him. Uh, and as followers of Jesus, a primary part of following Jesus and a, a, a stated part of the culture here at Crossview is that we're going to be okay when Scripture unsettles us, right? That's the word we use. It's the first step of our, of our discipleship pathway is biblical teaching. We're going to submit ourselves to Scripture. We're going to let Scripture teach us and show us where we might need to grow. And sometimes, a lot of times, that's unsettling. And we're saying that's okay. It's good because that's how we grow as a follower of Jesus. So today we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 25. And it's the story of David and Abigail. And so I want to start with a little bit of background uh, to set this story up. Last week we talked about uh, how Saul's anger toward David kind of boiled over. Uh, we highlighted that one, that, dis- that moment where Saul decided, okay, I'm going to pers- pursue David to take his life. This guy's done. And it's at that point of the story that David... Uh, goes on the run. And so we find him today in 1 Samuel 25. He is on the run, uh, and he has taken refuge in the southernmost part of Judah, uh, in, the wild- in a wilderness area called Paran. Now, after David leaves the high priest from where he was last week, he flees to a series of caves and a whole bunch of different wilderness areas and is, over time, joined by a whole bunch of other people. A lot of soldiers kind of come to his cause and rally to him. So eventually, David has a group of about 600 soldiers living with him in the wilderness. Now, it's hard enough to live in the wilderness on your own, right? But if you've got to now provide and uh, for and shelter and, and uh, take care of 600 people, it's a lot. So just keep that in mind as well as we go through this story. So in today's story, we pick up with David, who is a fugitive, surrounded by his merry men, and living 
in the wilderness trying to stay out of trouble. He's trying to stay away from the Philistines on the one side and from Saul and his armies and soldiers on the other. Uh, and he's kind of in a bit of a pickle. So he's in these kind of wilderness, this wilderness area and uh, in these borderland areas trying to survive. Now David's presence and his men's presence in this wilderness area is actually really beneficial to the people who live on the edges of those societies and to travelers and shepherds who are traveling through because what ends up happening is that David and all of his soldiers protect this area. So typically if if, uh, shepherds or merchants are traveling from one place to another, it was It was dangerous because they could be attacked on the road. Or when they leave their home, maybe uh, people would go to their home and raid their home. And so David and his men were protecting this whole borderland area. And so in, in 1 Samuel 25, we are introduced to a wealthy farmer named Nabal. Now, Nabal had a property in this area and had, it says, thousands of of goats and thousands of sheep. He was a super wealthy man in this time. Had a lot of livestock and land. We find him in the story, uh, and it's sheep shearing time. Now, one of the things that we need to realize about this time is the sheep shearing time happened typically a couple of times a year. And in this culture, it was a way of essentially counting your wealth. How many sheep do I have? How, much, how many goats do I have? They would shear the sheep, and the owner here is getting ready for a celebration to celebrate how much they have. So we quickly find that Nabal is not a good person, not a good man at all. In fact, his name, and I love this, his name literally means fool. Uh, And the text tells us that that is exactly what he is. He's mean and he's cruel in all his dealings. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel 25, verses 4 through 9, and you'll see it here on the screen. When David heard that Nabal was sharing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with a message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it's sheep shearing time. And while your shepherds stayed among us and near, uh, among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and, never, and nothing was ever stolen from them. He goes on, ask your own men, and they will tell you it's true. So would you be kind to us, since uh, we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have uh, on hand with us uh, and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal and in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Now, again, this is sheep sharing time. Nabal's getting ready for a party. Essentially, this is when these livestock owners would be more generous to their family and all their employees and celebrate together what they had. And so David, this is the time where David reaches out, and David wants Nabal to know that part of the reason why he's had a really good year this year is because of David's protection and the protection from all of his men. And so David politely asks, knowing uh, if you know about this protection of Baal, and I know it's a time for you all to be generous, would you, we're we're living in the wilderness, living off the land, would you kindly give us anything you can spare? It's not an unreasonable request for many reasons. And so when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message, and in David's name, they waited for a reply, and this is how Nabal answered his men, by saying, to David, who is this fellow David? Nabal, Nabal sneered at the young men. Who does the son of Jesse think he is? Which is, that's really funny. Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? He knows the family line. I mean, okay. 
There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a band of, a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Whoa, you kind of see the kind of person that Nabal is here. This is like, this is, there's lots of layers and levels. This is incredibly offensive, denying David's identity and insulting him on many, many, many levels. Uh, One commentator I read this week wrote this about this moment. It is always an unpleasant shock to meet someone like that. But they are everywhere, overbearing, contemptuous, hard-hearted. Nabal knew perfectly well who David was and why David was forced into this vagabond life. It's kind of crazy, this response. So he calls out David. He calls him a rogue, an outlaw. He implies that David was being disloyal to Saul. And he told David's men that he would rather give his riches to the people who had worked hard uh, than to outlaws like them. Besides, Nabal didn't ask for David's help and protection, right? He didn't need that, or at least he thought he didn't. And so David's men turned around and they went back to David and they reported to David every word that Nabal said. So again, in David's mind, he's... he's Uh, He's done this incredible service to Nabal and his whole family. He's helped protect the livestock and the crops. The least he could do is just give some of the provision. David is insulted and he's angry. And who wouldn't be at this response, right? And from our our conversation last week, (laughs) take your minds back to last week. And we know David makes really great decisions when he's angry and afraid, right? (laughs) Uh, And he looks at his men and he says, everybody grab your swords. David's been on the run now for several years. He's hunted at every turn. He's having to live off the land. He should be living at a home or maybe in the palace at this point. Maybe even perhaps he should be king by now. He's tried to do the right thing. He and his men are worn out. So David straps on his sword and he begins to journey to Nabal's house to pay him back for this injustice. One author wrote this, I'm not surprised at Nabal, but I would be staggered at David's reaction, except that I know my own heart. (laughs) So that a great way to try to connect with what David's doing here. But look at what David says in 1 Samuel 25, 13. He says, get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men, he took 400 men, and uh, they started off with David, and 200 remained to guard their equipment. And then a few verses later, David says this, A lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. And David is angry. And so he and 400 men get their swords on, and it says later in the text that David said, A curse be on me if anyone from Nabal or his family or even anyone who's had any dealings with Nabal is alive tomorrow morning. That's a pretty extreme response, right? David has had it. Making great decisions, isn't he? (laughs) One of the things that we learn from the life of David is that all of us struggle with consistent dependence on God in times of trouble. It's definitely worth looking, just pausing here, it's definitely worth looking at your patterns of discipleship, taking taking that seriously, and recommitting to living every moment in obedience and to the call of Christ, especially in times of hardship and trouble. We see this over and over in David's life where he doesn't do that. And I think it's a really good opportunity for us to look at our patterns of discipleship and say, you know what? What do I do when I'm in trouble? 
one author, we read uh, some of, from this author last week. His name is Alan Redpath. He writes a lot about David, and he said this. This story tells me that however long I may have been on the Christian path, however long I may have overcome one temptation or another, however many times I have defeated sin in one area, it can strike in another and crush me in a moment. He goes on to write, I may have overcome great temptation by the grace of the Lord. I may have stood my ground against the fierce onslaught of the enemy in one way or another and yet be tripped up by the smallest pinprick that gets under my skin. (laughs) Can you relate? David is upset here by certainly a significant slight by Nabal. But... David's reaction is extreme, and he's certainly not depending on the Lord here. We learn from David that when he's not dependent on God, things don't go well over and over and over again. But we also see from David's life that when he does rely on God, it's always the best way forward. And that is a lesson that we should take away from David week after week, and that God is always reaching out, always reaching out. So we find David here on the verge of committing a sin which would cast a dark shadow upon his entire life from this point, over, uh, from this point forward. Mass murder, no less. So the good news is that David's heart is open, is actually open to hearing God, we find out. He's open and will actually listen, even though it doesn't seem that way right now in the story. Enter Abigail. I'm so thankful for Abigail. We're introduced to Abigail, who is ironically Nabal's wife. And scripture says that she is intelligent and beautiful and kind. (laughs) And she's married to Nabal. Isn't that fascinating? She plays a significant role in the story. So after one of Nabal's uh, servants hears what David is about to do, he runs to, uh, to Abigail and tells her everything that he's heard. Everything that David did for Nabal and what David is about to do. So Abigail, it says, immediately takes action. She gathers a generous gift with lots of supplies and lots of food, and she puts it on a cart, and she heads out as fast as she could to try to, to meet David on the way before she gets to her husband, her family, and all her friends. And it says that she met them along the way. And when Abigail saw David, the first thing that she did is she got off her donkey and she bowed low before him with her face on the ground. Now, this is significant. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange act of humility on Abigail's part. She's the wife of a wealthy person. She benefits from some of the position and wealth that come from her marriage David, on the other hand, is an outlaw, a fugitive. He's rogue, and he's a dangerous person to associate with. Saul is angry and coming for him. So this totally catches David off guard. That when Abigail, and and then Abigail begins to speak. And in this story, listening to Abigail pleading with David is like listening to the Holy Spirit pleading with you and me in moments like this. Don't miss this. And what she begins to do to David is speak to him about the reality of his identity, which he seems to have forgotten, and his future. The first thing she does is remind him of who he is and what God has for his life. In 1 Samuel 25, 26 through 28, 
She says this, Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who tried to harm you be as uh, cursed as Nabal is. <laughs> Isn't that funny? She's his wife. Uh, the Lord will surely, she continues, the Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for you are fighting the Lord's battles. Language that was used back in his, in his moment with Goliath. She treats him, number one, as if he's already king. She bows low before him and she begins to speak to him about his potential, about his identity, and about his future. All things that maybe he's forgotten. She reminds him of who he is, and this is another significant wake-up call for David. We know what happened the last time David had a wake-up call, right? We talked about it last week. That moment when the high priest gave him Goliath's sword should, be, should have been a reminder for David that it wasn't by David's power that he beat Goliath, but it was by God's power. And it only happened because David was willing to uh, depend on and trust in the Lord. And so as I read the story, we come to this moment, there's a question that's just screaming in my heart and mind as I read this, David, will you listen <laughs> this time? And then I ask, God, do I listen when you speak to me like this? When I'm in my own downward spiral of destruction, when my vision is so narrow and I feel afraid and panicky, <laughs> and I, I'm in a crisis, whatever that might be. When the Lord tries to interrupt that spiral, do I listen? Do I recognize the voice of the Lord? David's already got his sword on. His men are with him, and they're in the middle of this march. He's already made the decision. He's going to do this. <laughs> Eugene Peterson writes about this moment. At this moment, David is full of himself and empty of God. Isn't that great? I love that. The emptiness is visible as ugliness. Abigail recovers God for David. David is earlier described as beautiful, though there's no sign of it here. But beautiful Abigail restores the beauty of God to David and his original identity. Whoa, what a moment for David that we get to watch. Then we come to what, the, what one author called the masterstroke of this whole conversation. In verse 29, we find Abigail speaking to David in a way that he can't ignore. She says this, Even when you are chased by those who will seek to kill your life, a reference to Saul, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. That alone right there, that verse could be a whole other message about what it means, that what we mean to God. There's so much happening in that one verse. And then she says this, But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. My goodness, Abigail, this is genius, right? She knows David's story. She knows what happened. She knows the legend. This is another one of those wake-up call moments that references what David did in that uh, battle with Goliath. It's genius. Again, Eugene Peterson writes this, Abigail witnesses God's work in David, God's call, God's promise, God's covenant, God's word, David's life is to be so tangled up in God's work and revelation that there's no way he could extricate himself from it and still be himself. There's no way that he can act as if 
God were not in him working according to his purpose. And then he writes, his life should be formed and conditioned by the, tenders of mercy, the tender mercies of God, not by the foolish devilries of Nabal. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? What a perspective that David is being reminded of who he is and what should, his life should be wrapped around and how he should identify himself. David, remember who you are and turn around is the message. <laughs> I absolutely love that Abigail used the image of a sling to catch David's attention. We know that the high priest giving Goliath's sword to David didn't work. Maybe the sling will. At least we hope in this moment, right? And I love the question of identity. David, who are you going to be in this moment? It's a question I think we can all ask ourselves in our, in our own journey with the Lord. I love this story because David seems to be in more than one kind of wilderness in this moment. Certainly, he's in a physical wilderness, but it seems like he's also in a spiritual wilderness, and he's wrestling with who he will be and what will define his life and what will define his actions. Again, questions that we have to ask over and over in our journey with God in times that where that question is easy to answer and in times where that question is not as easy to answer. <laughs> And it seems like he starts to slip away from the calling of God on his life and he begins to define himself in ways that did not walk in step with the Spirit. How often do we do that? Lots of questions abound for us here. Will we listen to God when he breaks into our downward spirals of destruction? When we face a spiritual wilderness, how do we approach that? What do we do? It can either be a time of despair or a time where we discover the strength of God and find God faithful as he calls us to himself to obedient life and trust in him. Listen, David, don't be a fool. There's already one of those in this story. <laughs> a literal fool. And what's really great is that David, in this moment, responds to God's spirit through the words of Abigail. That's what makes this story so beautiful. David failed before last week in the story that we looked at, but today he didn't, and he responds to Abigail. He stops, he hears, he listens, he surrenders, he obeys, and he takes a, cl a step closer to being the kind of person and eventually the kind of king that God wants him to be. That's what happens when we take a step toward God. And he says to Abigail in verse 32, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today. Thank God for your good sense. <laughs> it's great, because I had none, right? Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out my vengeance, carrying out vengeance with my own hands. Oh, what a moment of repentance. What a moment of recognition. And what a moment where David begins to turn and head back toward God. Incredible. He got the message. And what's really cool is many authors and commentators praise Abigail in this moment. A very difficult situation to put herself in. Who knows what would have happened, but so many people reference the beauty of this moment being the beauty of the Holy Spirit brought uh, by Abigail. They call her the beauty of God in a very ugly moment. And it's, it's through the beautiful presence of God that sometimes we are pulled from our ugliness and our sin. Amen. Will we see it? Again, Eugene Peterson says this, there's nothing more common in the spiritual life than starting out right and then going wrong. 
We start out with enthusiasm and promise, surging with energy and purity of heart, and then somewhere along the line we are corrupted and spoiled, and not one of us is exempt. Someone offends us, crosses us, doesn't give us what we want, what we want. our self-importance flares up, and we're off to do something about it. Do you, reckon, do you relate with this? Usually off to do something about it, armed with righteous indignation, wrapped up in ourselves because we're angry, because our self-identity is being violated. We're off to take, we're off to avenge hurt feelings, a bruised self-image. We'll, we'll get even and get back at them, uh, and we'll show them a thing or two. It's a pretty common experience uh, from a day-to-day perspective. That's why stories like this are so very important because maybe the Lord is speaking to you right now in your situation. I pray he is. Uh, Maybe he's trying to break into your reality, to your life in the most beautiful of ways. Remember who you are and turn around. Remember the great purpose that God has for your life. Remember your high calling, that you are a child of God, a joint heir with Christ, destined to represent the kingdom of the living God. That's who you and I are. Will we listen when God calls us back to that identity? One of the great things about the larger story of David is that it demonstrates how God shapes those who are responsive to his love. So how is God shaping you these days? Are you listening and attentive to the Holy Spirit? Or are you like David at the beginning of this story? Get your swords out, everyone. We're going to go take care of business. What are the real and practical ways that you are saying yes to God on a day-by-day basis? Day by day, how are you saying yes to God? Yes to God's direction and stepping away from self-serving and self-focused action. How is the precious and beautiful spirit of God breaking into your reality, encouraging you and calling you to become who he's made you to be? I just want to encourage you to think about these questions throughout this week. Read this story. Hear the words of Abigail. Experience the moving of the spirit in your own life. Become aware of what God is saying and where God is speaking. Worship team, would you come on back up? One of the things that I love is I love kind of seeing how these things influence the rest of Scripture as it goes. So David ends up writing a psalm about this whole situation, and later on in the New Testament, the New Testament authors look back at the psalm that David wrote out of this as a reflection from this story. We find some of it in 1 Peter 3, 9 through 12. And I thought it'd be great for us to end this way because we can see the influence of this story all throughout the New Testament. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. (laughs) Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do and he will grant you his blessing. This is a direct reflection from the psalm that David wrote about this story in 1 Samuel. For the scriptures say, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. What a 180 from where David started in the story, amen? (laughs) And that can be the same for us if we are willing to listen, open to God's presence, and then to respond in obedience. What does that look like for you in your life this week? Let's pray together.
Jesus, I'm so thankful for the way that your Holy Spirit breaks into our life. God, I just pray right now. I know there are some people who are going through very difficult circumstances and are in need of, of, of you. And so, Holy Spirit, will you just break into our awareness? Give us this kind of Abigail moment. Maybe for some of us, we need this. Where we recognize you, you encourage us, you remind us who we are, you call us back to obedient living. Trust in you, dependence on you, which maybe can even be a relief, knowing that we don't have to have all the answers, but that you are God over all things, all relationships, all situations, and that you are trustworthy. Time and time again, the scripture tells us this. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we go this week, we can be open to your leading, your guidance, that we would walk in step with the Spirit. Help us carve out time to spend time with you and to listen. Thank you for the way that you speak. We love you and we praise you, Jesus.